Well, as we said earlier, I think this is a good time for us as a church, and I think this is something that it's helpful for us to do, to maybe take a pause or a break from our normal, regularly scheduled program, and to ask us as a church, you know, how are we doing? Um, you know, how, how are you doing? How, how is Mosaic doing? Um, you know, what is Mosaic here for? You know, why, why did we ever start this thing? Like, do we, do we gather here together just to get together? Like, even here virtually, like, do we do this Sunday morning thing just because that's what Christians do? Like, do we do it just to sing songs and just to get a spiritual pick-me-up? No. <laughs> we hope some of those things are true, but we don't exist for Sunday mornings. Now, Mosaic's mission, why we exist ever since the day one, since we began, was to adore Christ, was to apply the gospel, and is to act with mercy and justice. And that, that word justice, I think that, that, that word is important for us here today. In our day today, when, when our black brothers and sisters are being murdered, they're being lynched, they're being taken down while jogging, while sitting in their homes, while sleeping, when they're telling us, don't shoot, or when they're telling us, I can't breathe, and there seems to be no justice, and that injustice is coming by people who claim to be God-fearing people. I mean, I think you want, we, we can get disillusioned, yes? Yes? And you feel for your fear for yourself, or you fear for your spouse, or you fear for your child. That cute little black baby boy or girl we know will one day grow up be a man or a woman that our society is telling us needs to be feared. I mean, how many of y'all feel that way today? How many of y'all just feel tired? We heard of another killing this week with Breonna Taylor. A woman in Louisville... An EMT, and the police shot her while, while her suspect was in custody elsewhere. Shot her while she was in her apartment. And now her boyfriend, who tries to defend her, is, is, being, is being charged with, with attempt of murder. I mean, at some point, you have to get angry. Or at least you, you would hope that people would get angry. And recently, I saw this tweet Someone asked, what are you doing to raise your children to not kill mine? Like, we, we have lived in a world where that question needs to be asked. But the fact that things like this just keep happening over and over and over, I mean, it's disheartening and it can make you wonder, like, where is God? Does he care? Does God believe black lives matter? Yes. Does the church believe black lives matter? This one does. Today we're going to talk about justice, and I want us to unpack that word. It, it simply means to give someone their due. Like what they are owed. To give someone what is fair, what is right, what is equitable. And so does our God believe in that? Absolutely. It, it, it's fact that he cares for you. It is fact that he, that he is actually angry about the injustices in the world. 
More angry than we could ever be. And so he's angry at that lack of rightness that we're seeing every single day. And so we're going to see that God is actually angrier in that, in that regard. Today, I want us to see that there's a, God has a deep care for justice. I want us to see that there is a deeper understanding of justice and that there is a well for justice. And so as I begin today, I want, I want to say to some of you that, that you have taught me to have a fuller understanding of this uh, term, even over the last year. And so, you know, guys like, like Malcolm, who's written quite a bit on this, even more recently, now he's becoming infamous, it seems. But Robert Callahan's news feed or Facebook feed, just go and look at, thank you, Robert. I mean, it's a gold mine of, of information, but even just your, your videos of pouring your heart out, thank you. I mean, women like Jaja, who just continually speak up, or like Hannah O, oh, who is just resilient, or if you got to see Jada's spoken word, or Devin, or, or Josiah, or I can name many and many of you who've just influenced me and helped me move along in this, um, this path. And so today, I, I hope that we would be able to see a couple things. One, I, I hope that today would be a healing for some of you. But two, I would hope that it would be a wake-up call to some of other, others of you. And lastly, I, I, I want us to see that like, I'm in process, and we're all in process in this together. That, like, this is not a, a one-sided affair of this is how it's done. That there is ways that I, I, I'm learning and continue to learn, just like I, I admitted there. And so I want us to look at Scripture and to see what Scripture has to say about justice and let it guide this conversation. And because I believe if you look at the Old Testament, that Scripture is, is just littered <laughs> with passages about a God who cares about justice. I mean, Deuteronomy 10, he executes justice for the fatherless and for the widow, and he loves the sojourner or the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy 16.20, justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God has given you. But now let's look at that passage that Jaja read from Isaiah 58. Now we have, we have a God who is talking to a particular group of people, a, a, a group of Hebrews who, who go to the temple, and in verse 2 says, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And so they go to him Daily, they're worshiping, they're tithing, they are praying, they're seeking him out day after day. So it's sustained. It's not, it's not wishy-washy. They, they are eager to know his, his ways. And so you, you can think of many churches like this that, that have a, a true love and thirst for God. They're committed. They're passionate. They, they know how holy living looks. That they, they know the Ten Commandments. I mean, their morality is on point. They're even fasting. But that's where we see we have some underlying issues. In verse 3, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And so you can see their frustration. Like, this religion isn't working, it feels like. I mean, what's the point of it all? Like, we don't know what bad things are happening to them right now. Like, they're besides the exile, but there's thoughts that there might be something else going on there. But something is frustrating the people, that their problem still exists even though they're fasting and they're wondering, why is my religion not working? 
Like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and you're not responding, God. And God says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Ooh. So God is saying that there is a type of worship that I will not hear. More than a praise song, more than a loud amen, more than all of that, he desires justice. He says, that's the type of fast that I want. Verse six, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to hide him yourself from your own flesh? I mean, do you see what God is saying? He says, I don't want a worship service. I want you to care for people. Like, care for those who are locked in our justice system for years. Like, care for the poor. That's the liturgy that I desire. Don't sing and speak up with your voices until you speak up in the streets. Like, that's the singing that I want. I mean, does that sound harsh? Well, the Old Testament has this all over. Amos 5, he says, I hate all your show and all your pretense. I mean, he hammers that point. He hammers it even harder in Isaiah 1, and verse 13. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates, and they become a burden to me, and I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. And that is a heavy passage for a church to hear. Like, are we doing it to where he is now hiding his eyes from us? Why? Why? Why does anyone want to hear their praises? He says, your hands are full of blood. That they are guilty of injustice. They're worshiping in the temple, but their worship doesn't go into the courts. God is seeing an insincere heart trying to praise him, and it's the picture of hypocrisy. Like a church or a people of God singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and, and with their lips, but they have blood on their hands. Either directly or indirectly. And so in summary, God is saying, if you don't love the poor, the hungry, and the pressed, no matter what you say, you don't love me. So he says in verse 16, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. And this is not an isolated incident. I mean, if you look at the scriptures, we see Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you? And you might think worship, praising, tithing, whatever it might be, he says, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so that doing justice is tied to the heart of God. Why? Because God so identifies himself with the poor and the oppressed and the most vulnerable that he would say in Proverbs 14, 31, if you insult the poor, you insult the Lord. Uh 
Proverbs 19, 17, if you give to the poor, you give to the Lord. I mean, this isn't just Old Testament. We see this in New Testament. Jesus himself in Matthew 25 in this, this end time scene that Jesus is describing. It sounds frightening, but he says he's going to have this judgment day where on one side he's going, to have the, he's going to have the righteous standing in front of him, the ones who will be saved and the ones who are cursed on the other side. And he's going to say to them, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they asked, Lord, when do we do this for you? And what is his answer when you did it to the least of these? And those on the other side said, when did we not do this for you? And he said, when you didn't do it for the least of these. And so what all this is saying is that the way that you treat the poor tells the reality of your relationship with God. Or you could say another way, the way that you treat the most vulnerable in our society reveals the relationship of your, the reality of your relationship with God. And so this is really just the book of James on display here, right? Like, like faith without works is dead. The way that you care for people reveals your faith. And so justice or social justice, because all justice is essentially social, is a big revealer of a right relationship with God. And so if you don't develop a sense of justice, then you don't have a relationship with God. It is that tied to who he is. It's at the very heart of God. And so does justice matter to God? Amen, absolutely, 100%. Do you matter to God? Amen, absolutely, 100%. And so we see God has a deep care for justice, but I want us to look now at a deeper understanding of justice. And I say the word deeper because this is the area that I had to grow in over the last couple of years. That we could say, I think I understand justice, but it goes much deeper than what I thought. The word here for justice, do justice, is a phrase that's used over 200 times in the Bible. I mean, 200 times. The Hebrew word there is mishpat. Everyone say mishpat. mishpat. It's a fun word to say, right? <laughs> Sometimes that, that word is translated uphold the cause. Sometimes it's translated righteous. And other times it's translated justice. And so it's been used 200 times. And if it's that many times, it means it's important to God. Mishpat has, has two different ways that you can think about it, though. In the one sense, it's negative, right? This is, this is what you would think of when you think of justice, that when someone has done something wrong, that, that the state has been tasked to do justice and to punish or discipline them. That's to, to kind of keep the order. But we can also, as many of you guys may be recalling, even as I describe that, can think of many examples of when this has not been done well, when the state has not done this well. Or you can think of the Caliph Browder, who was arrested at the age of 16, who was given three years in jail when he was proven innocent earlier because an eyewitness said that he looked like the guy who stole his backpack. And so in jail for three years for being accused of stealing a backpack and then giving beaten and beaten and beaten and then getting 300 days straight of solitary confinement to where it just messed with his psyche at 16, to where he comes out of that having suicidal thoughts and ultimately 
does commit suicide. And so we can think of many times when justice has not been, been given rightly. But there are times when you want that justice. Even though we've seen the negative side of it, we want to see, we want to see true justice. So if someone kidnaps my child, I want justice to bring my child back whole and safe. That, that is what, that's what the way justice is supposed to be. That's true mishpat there. But still, that's the negative sense of it. There's also a positive side of that. There's the positive side of justice that it's, it's still giving people their due. Remember, that's the, the definition there. That giving people their due, giving the oppressed, the weak, the most vulnerable their due, what they are owed. And so one, one author summarizes the Bible's most oppressed in scriptures as the quartet of the vulnerable. The quartet, you think like a four-string quartet. Um, these four groups of what, that God has, has a, a special care for and concern for that he, he talks about throughout the scriptures. And it's, it's the widow, it's the orphan, it's the immigrant, and it's the poor. The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. And we see that, that God is, we, we read about that earlier, that he has a special concern for them, the quartet of the vulnerable, the, those who are most easily trampled by injustices. And I would argue that here in America, we've added a fifth to that, and that is people of color. Because white people historically have created this category of race to create a caste system with superiors and inferiors. And so I would argue that this is a quintet of the vulnerable. And this is the positive side of justice. Like standing up for the quintet, standing up for that quintet's inalienable rights, saying that, that, that they are equal. It's, it's the equality of justice because they are equals. Like th this needs to be about equity, equity, about equitable practices, about fair treatment. Leviticus 24, 22 says something crazy. It says that we should have the same law for the foreigner as for the native born. Now that, that does not happen in ancient, in ancient history where they're saying treat outsiders just like your own flesh and blood. I mean, there's nothing like that here. And so here's a person from a different race, a different culture, a different religion, and, and just love them like your own family. I mean, treat them like family, but, but more than equality, more than just fairness, there are times when there's a special concern for the vulnerable. Going back to Isaiah 58, verse 6, it says, undo the straps of the yoke, meaning relieve the burden of those hurting. Help them. And I think many of us want to, want to see justice as just this equal treatment that, yeah, yeah, let's treat everyone fair, everyone equal, everyone get a fair chance. But there are times when I think there is, a, there, there is a, a need for special treatment. If the system is working against you, you need something to counterbalance that system. And so Proverbs 31 says, speak up for those who can't speak themselves. Open your mouths for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, Speak for those who can't speak for themselves. What he's saying is there is be an advocate. Speak up for those who can't speak. If a child can't, can't voice can't be heard, speak for them. Like it is, it is your duty to care for them, to speak up for them. And that's the part that I think I, I needed to grow in is this duty of justice. Mishpat justice is giving people their due, what they are owed what's just and what's right. And what that means is it's not charity to care for the poor. It is justice. 
It is not charity to care for our brothers and sisters who are facing racial discrimination and unjust policies. We owe it to them. It is justice. We are required to speak up for them. We see this in the book of Job where Job is saying in chapter 31, if I denied justice to my servants, if I withheld my food and seen anyone perishing for a lack of clothing, if I raised my hand against the fatherless, then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from its socket. I mean, later he goes on to say, it is sin that I didn't care for them. Why? Because we are not independent, we are interdependent. And that is the hardest thing for us to get our minds wrapped around. That the Bible says that what you have and what you own is not your own. That, that your voice, your time, your resources, your clothes, your food is not ours, it is our neighbor's. <laughs> that when we hold back from them, we are robbing from them. Now, do you think that God cares about justice? I think many of us are seeing that, that helping the vulnerable is something that, yeah, we should all do. We should, that, that seems good. Like it's nice, but we're not obligated to do it. That, but that, that's a very, very American way of seeing things. Like, I can choose to engage in this, and yeah, we should, we should all be doing our part. We should all be helping, but you can't require of that of me. I can't, but God can. Like, God says your lack of concern for the vulnerable is not a lack of charity. It is damning evidence against us. With charity, it's this option. Yeah, maybe I'll help them. Maybe I won't. But with the quintet of the vulnerable, it is justice. It is do them. Well, now that we all feel super guilty, <laughs> right? Take, enjoy that moment there. <laughs> Everyone's going to go, okay, so what do we do? let's do it. I'll do it. Well, let me just stop you there because guilt will not be enough. Like that, that'll just, let, let me show you a deep well for justice. Because if rage, and there's a lot of rage going on right now, or guilt, and there's a lot of guilt going on right now, are your only motivators to actually go seek justice, then you are going to flame out. You're going to burn out. You're going to flake out. I mean, it's like a match. I mean, it's helpful to start a fire, but if that match is by itself, it's just going to burn down. But if that match helps you get some brush around it, you get some twigs and some, and some branches and some logs behind it, then it can be a flaming fire for, 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 that will last a while. That is the deep well that we have to pull from. And I, and I would suggest to you that the love of Christ is the most powerful, most explosive, and most compelling log that we have for justice. What we see in Scripture is not a guy who just sits up in heaven and says, what are these guys going to get it together? <laughs> like, what we see is a God who says, I'm going to participate in their suffering. Yes, it's a mess, but I'm going to jump into the mess. Isaiah, we're going to stay in Isaiah 53, 3, says that Jesus, it's prophesying about Jesus, that he is called a man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. He's a man of sorrows. And he, he knows grief so well that he's acquainted with it. It is love that pushes someone to participate in sorrow. It is love that compels someone to participate into the sufferings of another. How did Jesus get the name man of sorrows? That verse goes on to say, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He got that name because he bore it 
He's carrying it with him. And so how do you not flake out? You participate in the sufferings because Christ participated in yours. That well of love is the endless supply that we have to come back to, that Christ loves me that much that he's participating in my sufferings. And so just real quickly, haven't you noticed that after a few weeks of outrage over Botham John or Philando Castile or Michael Brown and countless others, the world just keeps on spinning. And in just in a few weeks, the justice is going to cool off for Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor. Unless, unless people so identify with these families that their death felt like a death in our own family, that we, we participated in that suffering, that that lynching felt like my brother was lynched. And if my brother got lynched, you can be sure I'm calling the state senator. That if my sister got, got killed in her apartment, I am calling the police department and asking for justice. How? Because their pain becomes my pain when I participate in that. And that's exactly what Christ did for you. That he participated in our pain. That he participated in our sufferings. He is, he is known as a man of sufferings. That he participated in your sorrows as the man of sorrows. And he didn't just participate. He actually does something about it. In Luke 4, he tells us, and he's quoting Isaiah 61, so we're still saying in Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus does something about our sufferings. I mean, he sets free the oppressed he brings justice with him. And it's, it's on his business card, Jesus, author, perfecter of our faith, but also the, the king of justice and righteousness. Like, this is who he is. But he's not just participating in our, in our sufferings. He's not, just, he's not addressing it. He's also coming to take the justice. He didn't just come to bring justice, but he comes to take it. And there was another lynching that you may not have heard about and thought about as lynching where there was a crowd who was whipped into a frenzy and takes a man against his will and straps him to a tree and takes justice into their own hands. And we're not talking about Jesse Washington. We're talking about Jesus who was lynched by the people here. And it was unjust. It was not fair. Look at Isaiah 53. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. It's not fair. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us and me peace. And it's his wounds that we're healed. And so it's not fair. It's not just. But at the same time, it is. Because in that one moment, Jesus takes our sin upon him and so that he stands before the Father guilty of every sin that you and I have ever committed and ever will commit. And it is justice for him to die at, at that moment. Jesus didn't just die as a symbol that we, we look to. He died because it was justice and mercy commingled down. He actually paid for my sins. And it's mercy because obviously he was innocent. Obviously he took my place and by his death he secured my pardon 
And it's out of gratefulness to Jesus because I know I was once that alien. I was the outcast. I was the most vulnerable that was deserving of hell. And I can't ever assume that my spot is in the spot of superiority. When I see at how poor I was and how much of an outcast I was, and Jesus still takes me in, it fuels me to fight with and for and alongside of others for justice. I pray that we can see what Jesus has done for us that would fuel you to fight with, for, and alongside of others in justice. And it's, and it's that deep well of mercy that we have right there that we can draw upon every single time we need it. That we can go to the love of Christ, that the love of Christ is going to compel me. I mean, look at how much he loves you and what he has done for you. That he's willingly taking that injustice upon himself. May it flood your hearts. Because if, if we just fight justice in our own efforts, we're going to flake out and we're going to burn out. But if we look to the lynching tree and we look to the empty tomb, then we have a deep well to draw from because we have an endless supply to look at how much one, how much our relationship to God is defined by justice and injustice, but two, we actually see we have that Christ was vindicated and that we will too one day. And so justice isn't optional. I mean, it is written into the very fabric of our relationship with God. Justice isn't optional for Christians. I can't help but love and care for you because Christ loved and cared for me. I love you because I've been loved when I shouldn't have been. Go to that well as often as you need it today. Christ is with you and he loves you and he cares for you. And now let's get to work, church. Let's pray.